This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Brian and Paul. Hello. Hey, guys. Is that Wendy Houston? Try again. What are you doing? Oh, you'll see. But first, welcome to The Place to Be, episode 43, Professor Xavier's Animated Home for Gifted Youngsters. Wow, good to be here. I like where that's going. (laughs) If you missed our last two episodes, go and check them out when the gang and I talked about everything Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the 2005 movie, and the 1984 game of the same name, the Infocom text adventure game. You can find that and all of our past episodes at datingourselvespodcast.com. On iTunes, Google Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. I find mine hidden in the floorboards under Paul's house. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I have a cement floor. (laughs) That's what you think. They're very heavy floorboards. (laughs) (laughs) Made of concrete. Designer. Spare no expense. (laughs) Oh boy. We really appreciate our listener support, and we'd like to share some kind words left by one of those listeners on iTunes about our show. This week, however, our five-star review was left on Stitcher. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. We're on Stitcher? Yeah, man. We're on everything. So, um, yeah, if you'd like to leave us a five-star written review on iTunes or any other podcast platform, we would definitely love to read it on air as a way to say thanks. So here's this week's five-star review. It's from Anonymous? Hip-Hop Anonymous? (laughs) It's V for Vendetta. (laughs) Oh, sorry. It says, Storehouse of Knowledge. Well, thanks, I guess. All right. I am going to put that on my resume from now on. Paul, storehouse of knowledge. Digital archivist, storehouse of knowledge, curator of the unknown. (laughs) I like it. No, curator of the obscure. There you go. Oh, I like it even better. Prince of flatulence. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Royalty. Well, thank you, unknown (laughs) listener. Five-star reviews are always encouraged, and be sure to tell your friends about Dating Ourselves podcast. So let's get started. This week, I'm going to be leading a discussion on X-Men, the animated series, which was submitted by Spencer D. of Grand Rapids, Michigan. I know him. Well, then. I know that place. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a rare coincidence, I suppose. <laughs> I guess Grand so. Rapids, where there are no more rapids. <laughs> <laughs> but there might be rapids again soon. There might be. They are going to re-rapid the rapids. They are, they are attempting to re-rapid the rapids in Grand Rapids. That'll be interesting. This yeah, because right true. now it's just grand water running slowly. Yeah, That's I won't tr- be able to kayak to work anymore if there's rapids, because then I might actually get wet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So... May I interject for a quick story, as is tradition for me to annoy Brian for as long as humanly possible? (laughs) Oh, your stories are always great, Paul. (laughs) Sure. So, currently, uh, they're replacing the chiller in the building in which I work. 
and um, we will have no air conditioning for an extended period of time. And of course, it's going to be getting warmer soon, and we are not allowed to wear shorts. So I have purchased my first kilt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm wearing it now, and it is amazing. How, how do you like the extra ventilation? Very enjoyable. <laughs> I had to turn the fan off, though, because I the mic picked it up. Ah. <laughs> I was doing my best Marilyn Monroe impression. Oh, my oh, goodness. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to point out that it's called a kilt because that's what happened to the last person who called it a skirt. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> he got <laughs> There will be no pictures. <laughs> so that's it. That's my story. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go on then. So remember, we'll pick next episode's topic at the end of the show. It will be Nostalgia Combat! Nostalgia Combat! Wombats are us. <laughs> it will be me and the greatness of Stephen King versus Paul and the shitness of musical artist <laughs> Modest Mouse. Amen. Boy, some strong feelings from, from this side of the group. <laughs> Oh, we will also visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, to get another topic for Brian. So, Brian, why don't you tell us about X-Men, the animated series? Terrific, Adam. Thank you so much for uh, guiding me into this Awesome, awesome discussion, and thank you so much, Spencer D of Grand Rapids MI, for uh, yeah, for giving us the opportunity to chat about this. So, X Men: The Animated Series was a television show, animated, obviously. Uh, it was on the Fox Kids Network from October 31, 1992, until September 20, 1997. It I was. I never realized there was a mid-season nice. opener. Yeah, yeah, it was a mid-season like closed out too so i don't know how and why they did that um i think there was less episodes in the fifth season um it's been a while since i've watched all of them although within the last few weeks since i've received this topic i've watched most of the episodes at least through most of season four um and I gotta say, I'm, I'm surprised. It, it definitely ages well. We'll talk about that in a little bit as to some of the topics that are covered and things like that. Obviously, it's a Saturday morning cartoon, so there's some corniness involved. Um, all the guns shoot lasers instead of bullets, you know, things like that. But um, The best fake southern accents you've ever heard. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially from Gambit, the uh, the Creole oh. man from New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> Mona <laughs> Meat. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, um, the TV series was based on the original Marvel comic series, also called X-Men. Uh, the very first X-Men number one is considered one of the most um, highly sought after comics of all time, which was released in 1963. So obviously it makes sense that you'd want to make an animated series, um, you know, based on those characters. Um, mm -hmm. And the storyline in a very, very brief nutshell is in the future, there's a bunch of genetic and radioactive mutations that occur and mutants are walking among people and uh, there's a lot of animosity, there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, prejudice and bigotry. And so it's a really interesting show, comic strip, and 
you know, they continue to release movies and things like that. Um, it has a lot of similar aspects to like the Avengers or the Justice League or things like that because it's a it's an ensemble of superheroes, but it's they're all mutants. So it, it has kind of this interesting, I don't know, kind of a sociologic sociologic. <laughs> May I interject a pet peeve? Yeah. So not it's not a pet peeve with what you said. It's a pet peeve about. X-Men in general and specifically how people talk about it. It's they self-describe themselves as mutants walking among humans and, you know, talk about humans as being different. In my mind, a mutant is a mutation in a human. They're still human. Yeah. Maybe I'm just taking that too far, but it that Everything yeah. X-Men, for whatever reason, that has always been a pet peeve. It's like, they that are still the, human. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole premise with, like, uh, Charles Xavier in the movie series, especially, like, uh, once they di- started the, you know... School uh, the, for the, Gifted Youngsters. Yeah, Well, yeah, when they started the first class movie and kind of restarted the whole timeline by going back in the past, that was kind of the whole like, premise of uh, Charles Xavier and the X-Men was, like, you know, these are mutations that make you cool. Like, he never said, oh, it makes you, like, a mutant or something completely different. He was like, yeah, it's just, like, a genetic mutation. I I agree. It's just every synopsis that I've ever read... For, for, for like immediately describes it as mutants mo- walking among humans. Yeah, and, yeah. No, and, I, sorry, it's just a pet peeve of mine that I feel the need to point out. Yeah, no, yeah. I think it's one worth noting, and and I think that the animated series there are places where it, I would say pays lip service to that sentiment, where it's like, hey, we're all human. Yeah, I might have, you know, rejuvenation powers. Or I might be able to summon storms at like the drop of a hat, but. I'm still or I might be able human. to turn really hairy and blue. <laughs> but you have that mixed with Gambit, who will yell, Get out of the way, human! Well, yeah, yeah. and that's the thing. Like I said, it's more of a lip service thing. Like, every yeah. 20 episodes, they'll make make some type of olive branch between, you know, humans and mutants. We're really all the same. We're all humans. Some of us are just different. Um, and you could probably make the case, too, that it depended on which uh x-men it was or which x-man it was because like I, f- I feel like some of the main ones would be less likely to have that point of view of like oh we're completely different or whatever whereas someone like um gambit would probably you know with his ego and stuff like that would probably be a little bit more of the you know the ideology that oh yeah i'm different i'm better whatever right right so some of the uh, so the main X Men that are in the animated series, and this is different in every comic, every animated series, every movie that they've done. The X Men have always changed a little bit in their roster, but for the most part, in this animated series, the five seasons this show existed, the main X Men, obviously Professor Xavier, he's the one who starts the um, like the school for the, for the gifted youngsters. His powers, he has um, a high level of telepathy and he works with a computer called Cerebro. Um, and the combination of the two helps to like basically pinpoint accuracy, like funnel his charges, um, his telepathic charges anywhere in the world. His powers, however, have seemed to 
uh, limited his mobility. So he's restricted to a wheelchair. And in the animated series, it's a like levitating wheelchair. So a wheelless mm-hmm. wheelchair, which is kind of cool. But there is... It looks uh, almost like a mini tank in the animated series. It does. It looks like a big yellow... Like, like a floating I, duck boat. Yes. I was about to say duck boat, and I'm like, no one outside the Midwest is going to know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they w- I, I feel like they would. I, I saw some down south when I was there. They do duck boat tours in D.C., and I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like they used them in Vietnam, so I don't know if we have any yeah, Vietnam vets yeah, listening. But, but yeah, so um, there are episodes where Xavier isn't bound to a wheelchair, um, so like when they've done flashbacks going back to his college days or things like that, and there is even an episode where they go to um, the Savage Lands, and we'll talk more about some of these recurring themes later on. But when he and Magneto are there, they both lose their mutant powers, which sucks. But at the same time, he's able to walk, which is something he hadn't been able to do for, for years. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of, kind of an interesting thing. There is one other important caveat that I just wanted to throw in there. You were talking about uh, Cerebro and uh, Xavier being the head of the school. That really, like his telepathy and that Cerebro is really why he's able to be the head of this school for mutants uh, or, or the gifted children or whatever, because uh, his cerebro allows him to identify people with mutations. And so sure. he can actually go and recruit them to come to the school. It's not like they're just waiting back and all, all of a sudden some kid shows up at the door like, hey, look what I can do and starts like their hand on fire. Uh, he actually can like go out and identify these these. Uh, children with special abilities that's a really good point absolutely um so some of the um some of his top students that make up the x-men uh cyclops in the series he's he's played by norm spencer he's the second in command essentially underneath xavier and he's called cyclops because he wears a single visor over his eyes because if he doesn't wear it he shoots like these electronic pulses like these giant red lasers essentially from his eyeballs Um, and that at least allows him to have control over when and where he shoots those there's a lot of times in the series where he'll wear these really thick sunglasses too for the same reason that he doesn't want to blow people up when he's going out to dinner and things like that um wolverine nice if your food was cold though you you know you just (laughs) quick shoot a laser in and all of a sudden poof your uh, food's warm again quite literally nuking it (laughs) (laughs) um you also have wolverine he's played by chathel j dodd his power i guess it never occurred to me when i was a kid watching this series for the first time um uh, you know, it didn't occur to me until much later that his power is actually rejuvenation. So he has regenerative health. As long as he doesn't get killed in one shot, he basically can recover from anything. Um, yep. Because he can recover from almost anything, his skeleton was replaced with adamantium, which is supposed to be a it's a fictional indestructible material um and because of that not to be confused with unobtainium right (laughs) (laughs) or um what's the vibranium yes (laughs) so many so many good uh heavy metals out there um (laughs) judas priest yeah no wrong heavy metals (laughs) but because of his um metal skeleton um he actually has three large claws on each hand that come out from where his knuckles are on his fist, which is what I always thought his power was. Um, uh-huh. But that's actually just a 
byproduct of because he was able to recover from this otherwise very risky procedure so quickly, you know, it just, as weapon X. Yes, yeah, exactly. And he just happens to have these claws now. Um, but yep. the rejuvenation thing is kind of bitching. And I, I, the more I think about it, that, would be my superpower, you know? Um, Storm, um, she's also kind of one of the commanders of the X Men. Uh, she can control the weather, and that can be indoor, outdoor, and in outer space, apparently. There doesn't even have to be an atmosphere, but she can control the winds, the snows, um, heat all of that stuff thunder and lightning in the new uh dark phoenix movie that came out in theaters there is actually a part where you get to see her control a little bit of the weather in space oh interesting i will have that's awesome i'll have to go and see that um it was it was not bad i'm not gonna say it's great i'm not gonna say it's terrible it was okay (laughs) it was it was a good flick yeah, so some some of the other characters, so like I said, we already got Xavier, Cyclops, Wolverine, Storm, Beast. He's a, a scientist. Dr. McCoy is his name. Um, but he's also covered entirely in blue fur. And he basically has like kind of orangutan gorilla type qualities where he's very strong. He can like climb walls and hang from pipes and things like that. So very, very fast and very strong, but also incredibly brilliant. Kind of like the Hulk of the of the crew, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Um, he's, he's yeah. I never thought about that. They do have a lot of same properties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that he's both halves of the Hulk slash Bruce Banner at all times. Right. So where right. Banner's like a genius and Hulk is like a like an idiot, but he can smash through a building. Hank is kind of both. It's kind of kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So then there's Rogue, who her powers. Um, in addition to flying, is that she can absorb other people's powers, energy, thoughts, you know, dreams, all sorts of stuff like that. It's entirely involuntary, though, and it only happens when she touches people. So she typically has to wear these um, large yellow gloves that go up past her past her elbows because if if she comes in contact with anyone, even accidentally, she could potentially really hurt them, knock them out, and then she would drain their energy. And if they're mutants, would drain their powers as well. So it's something that she uses as a weapon, but um, it's it adds for a really interesting layer in her character development because she can never really be intimate or close with anyone because she'll like knock them out or kill them if, if she tries. Yeah. So just a couple more characters of the main cast. And then, uh, uh, let's see. So Jean Grey, she in my opinion, gets kind of the shaft in this series because she's the only one that doesn't have a cool-ass name. Um, and she <laughs> has, like, the best powers in my mind. So she has telekinesis and um, telepathy. So not only can she read minds and connect with people telepathically, she can also use her mind to create, like, orbs and force fields and energy blasts and things like that. Um, I think she's a pretty interesting and unique character. And she actually, at uh, points in her storyline, becomes, like, one of the most powerful mutants to exist. Yeah. Like, well stronger than any of the other X-Men or anything like that. Yeah, so, like, in the in the Dark Phoenix saga, there's a, a whole race of, like, Imperial Guards from outer space that are coming uh, to Earth, uh, to, essentially to take over this crystal that can then build a universe, I don't remember all of the details specifically, but somehow this phoenix enters 
her body and it almost like possesses her and gives her these unbelievable powers. So there's like these indestructible Imperial guards. And, and I, I'm trying to remember some of their names. I think one's like the gladiator maybe. And she yeah. just like yep. kicks his ass <laughs> like <laughs> without even trying. It's kind of like the Captain Marvel movie when she like first comes in and just cleans house. Okay. This guy's literally unstoppable. And you just like flicked him with your finger and he flew across the city. Um, <laughs> unbelievable stuff. Um, the just, complete- a, just as a heads up for everyone, don't worry, there were no spoilers for the movie in there, really. <laughs> gotcha. So the movie is nothing like the show? Uh, the, the, the movie takes on a slightly different version of the Dark Phoenix story. So gotcha. while there are obviously commonalities, the some of the more specifics that you mentioned are not part of the storyline. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, so then there's Jubilee, and Jubilee's supposed to be like the point of perspective type character. She's a teenager. She's just learning that she has mutant abilities. We'll talk a little bit more about her in a bit. Um, but her powers are essentially she has almost like these firework type of electric shocks that she can shoot from her fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, so not one of the cooler powers in my mind, but she was kind of the supposed to be the point of connection with the audience so um and then gambit very much 80s punk rock arcade scene thing going oh on. yeah with the the fingerless gloves and the big yellow trench coat and yeah definitely colored <laughs> colored glasses yep yep and then gambit who we mentioned as well um his power is he can basically charge anything with his hands um, to make it explosive, basically. And he tends to utilize playing cards for that. Um, he's from New Orleans originally, so I guess it's part of like the gambling Creole culture to have the deck of cards on him or whatever. But he just heats them up and throws them, and then they explode at enemies. So they're almost like exploding throwing stars, basically. Mm-hmm. First you charge the card, then you make the bang. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's how he explains it in like one of the first episodes. Yep. Yep. It's it's such a cool power, too. Um, and he uses it in a lot of different ways as well. But he's one of the characters, though, that for whatever reason doesn't get a whole ton of screen time, doesn't get a whole ton of stories about him. Um, mm-hmm. And that always makes me kind of sad because I think he's an interesting character. But I, I feel like just in general, they don't really do much with him. Like, there's even been attempts to make a Gambit movie because the, the version in the one X-Men movie that they had was horrible. Yeah. yeah. It was not very well received and really didn't get a ton of time. And then you never saw him in the films again. So they've been trying to make a solo film uh, with Channing Tatum as kind of the hmm. taking the reins on that. Because he, apparently he really likes that character. He's been a fan for a lot of years and stuff. So they've been trying to get that off the ground, but just hasn't come to fruition. We'll see what Disney does with it. It'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. it certainly will. So who is you all's favorite X-Man? Paul? I really like Morph. Even though he wasn't in the series that much, he was kind of the catalyst that kicked off the beginning. And then I loved that he came back. 
Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, and I think that's a, a an awesome point to bring up as well. So in the beginning credits, Morph is not listed at all. And as Adam was humming earlier, although it sounds slightly like Whitney Houston, um, the, the X-Men <laughs> theme song, that intro is, is fantastic. And it introduces all the characters in really quick snapshots. So, you know, you got Cyclops and then Wolverine and you know, they're all coming in pretty quickly. Morph doesn't have an intro, but he's in the first episode quite a bit first couple i was gonna say first couple i think they they introduce him as a original member of the team but unfortunately he doesn't last very long but i don't know why but the one of the reasons that i love morph so much is for the handful of episodes that he's like the star he always does this bit where he's watching tv and then he transforms into who's ever on the tv and makes fun of him (laughs) and it's like he has one of the greatest powers ever and that's what he chooses to do with this time and i feel like i would be the same way (laughs) yeah he's he's really an interesting character and we'll get into that those first couple episodes synopsis in just a little bit we won't obviously go through every single episode because there's a ton of them um but i think it really sets up the stage for talking about some of the other things that come up and morph is a huge player in that so definitely some foreshadowing of what what's to come in the next minutes uh how about you adam who's your favorite x-man um, you know, I'm kind of lame in the regards that mine is pretty, pretty typical or standard. Uh, Wolverine, uh, he was the character that I'm always most drawn to in the X-Men. Like, I just really loved the claws and that look, especially, you know, the, the look that was used in this particular series was, a, you know, one of the more iconic looks for him which was that yellow suit with the tiger stripes uh yep. on the sides and then his yellow and black mask um and just the always blue down the middle yeah yeah yep. always just really liked that look and liked his character uh you know just kind of that gruff tough dude that he was so you know it's not exactly the most exciting answer but wolverine always was one of my favorites Although there's a whole storm of other, you know, other a slew of other characters that I really enjoyed in the show, but he was always the one I really was the most interested in. I really like that the show played up more of his animal characteristics, like in the comics, more so than they did in the live actions. Yep. Yeah. Um, Like he's he can you know track things by scent. He always kind of like sits at a perch, more like a dog, I would say, than Mm -hmm. anything else. But you know when he's on the job, he kind of always like sits in attack mode, like ready to lunge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really liked that aspect of the show because he hasn't been portrayed that way anywhere else that I can recall, except maybe that one terrible movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, X Men Origins. Yes. Yeah, where he, yeah, he was a little bit more animalistic near the beginning of the movie. Uh, like when he first changes after that, I don't know how much they really focused on that, but yeah, I agree. That was a focus that this particular series did well, that hadn't really ever been brought up in any of the other iterations of his character. Yeah. Anything since. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think something that's really interesting about him too is he is kind of a loose cannon in many regards, you know, like they keep him around because he's really, really strong. He has this rejuvenating power where he can recover from anything, but at a moment's notice, he might just disappear, you know, and he'll go off on some 
some feud and, and some vendetta against Omega Red or Sabretooth or something like mm-hmm. that. Like the people he had uh, personal beef with. Yeah, exactly. And it's against everyone else's wishes, against everyone else's best interest, but he's going to go do it anyway. And it, I think that just kind of ties more into that animal nature uh-huh. of him. Yep. Just very instinct-based. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So my favorite is actually Rogue. I think that she's really an interesting character. Um, she it had nothing to do with the fact that you were eight and she was drawn very anatomically <laughs> correct. I mean, that certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> but for for me, like especially like watching it now, I think it's so interesting that like her power is almost like a curse. I mean, it is kind of with all the mutants. And we'll talk about kind of the societal damages that go on throughout this world with mutants um but really not having any say over what your powers are like yeah you can cover them up but the minute that you let your guard down i mean you're literally hurting people and Mm -hmm. one of her other powers is just she just had this unbelievable amount of strength so it's always interesting that like sometimes beast and cyclops and wolverine all these guys that are otherwise really strong really strategic leaders uh, they use her to like knock down the walls of a prison or something like that, or to like blow through the side of a mountain. That's that to me is really interesting that they they put that much power. She picked up a truck and threw oh yeah, it, like uh, on yep. a couple of different occasions. Yep. There's a uh, in the intro scene. I mean, she gets tied up by a sentinel and th- literally throws him like judo style from behind her to in front of her on the ground. Um, pretty amazing. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really great, awesome X-Men. Um, yep. So I don't know if you guys knew this, but this was actually the second attempt made at a X-Men animated series. Did you guys know that? Right. Yep. I thought it was the third. Are we not counting Amazing Spider-Man as Amazing Friends? No, we're not. Because that's even though there's some X-Men characters in there, it's particularly Spider-Man focused. Because they, they did their little mini-series there, and then they tried to spin it into Pride, which didn't go right. anywhere. Yeah. Right. And Pride was the one you were referring to, right, Brian? Yeah, so in 1989, yeah. X-Men, the Pride of the X-Men, and it's spelled P-R-Y-D-E, like, like Kitty Pride, that was a pilot episode. It was the first to see if this could potentially take off. The roster is a little bit different than the 1992 version um so it did have cyclops storm and wolverine but all of them looked entirely different from their characters in the 92 animated series so for example cyclops he was wearing like blue over his entire head instead of in the 92 version the top of the mask is like removed and his hair sticking out yeah wolverine was wearing like Redskins colors basically like burgundy and gold <laughs> yeah, yeah maroon and goldish yeah and then Which is yep. closer to the comic right and then right. storm had straight hair instead of like her her normal full volume wavy hair that she has in the 92 series um but then you also had characters who make cameos in the 92 series but were actually part of the x-men lineup with dazzler kitty pride <laughs> nightcrawler um and uh. colossus and of course, Professor Xavier. But Nightcrawler was always a personal favorite too. Oh, he's a badass for sure. Oh yeah, he's he's like a creepy little dude. He looks almost like a demon. He's got kind of like a little devil tail, yep. um, but he can teleport, which is awesome. And then he can also like climb walls and ceilings and stuff like that because he's got like those strange, almost like 
lemur like fingers. Um, (laughs) And then Dazzler basically kind of was like Jubilee. Like she had like the explosions that would shoot out of her hands and stuff like that. And then Colossus was a giant Russian man of steel. Um, So he was often paired off against the juggernaut, just kind of a similar giant bulky guy. Um, Can I say it? Can I say it? Go ahead. (laughs) I'm the juggernaut, bitch. (laughs) Sorry. Awesome. And then Kitty Pride. I'm trying to remember what what her powers were specifically. Um, she was like, uh, she was like a, uh, she was like a Nightcrawler light, like yeah. a more humanoid Nightcrawler. Yeah. It says it says here, uh, her power was a phasing ability that allows her as well as objects or other people she comes in contact with. To become intangible, so she basically can, like, become part of a wall or something like that. Uh, It also disrupts any electrical field that she passes through and lets her simulate uh, levitation. Interesting. Gotcha. Gotcha. But they usually presented it as her jumping around when she was phasing in and out, which is why I said she's kind of like Nightcrawler light. Yep, yep. Gotcha. Because Nightcrawler actually transported himself from one place to the other, whereas she just could move beyond things, but that made it look like she was teleporting. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. So she had, like, super strifing abilities in, like, the particle realm. where (laughs) Pretty much. Where Nightcrawler, more so, anything that he could see... He would be able to move there instantly. Yeah, he um, has to. That's a big caveat with him is he has to be able to see the spot, but he can yeah. teleport himself instantaneously to that. Yeah, spot. so he can't just be like, "Oh, Brussels sounds nice right now." Boof, there he is. <laughs> He's got to <laughs> be able to have eyes on it. One interesting way that they could get around that though uh, was um, Xavier could use his power of uh, telekinesis and stuff like that. To visualize the place, and then they could go there. That oh, was like the one workaround that I've heard. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Have you guys actually seen Pride? I have. Many times. Um, actually, if X-Men ever comes up in discussion with my mother, which that doesn't really ever happen, but sometimes it does, <laughs> um, she will start singing like the X-Men like X Men, X Men, do 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 do, nice. like the like the one from Pride. She doesn't remember any of the other series, but my brother and I used to rent this all the time from Blockbuster as yep. kids, and that's kind of how we got into the X Men. Yeah, it, it's really funny because my mom is like the mix of the Bobby's World mom and the <laughs> Freaks and Geeks mom, um, like just like unapologetically Midwestern. So to see her like Perfect bobbing her head to the old X-Men, Pride of the X-Men song, is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I liked um, it. Um, and I believe I even watched it with you back in the day. Like you, I oh, encountered yeah. it on, I encountered it after the other series had come out, but on home video from Blockbuster. And mm. correct me if I'm wrong here, but... It definitely followed it. I believe it was done by the writers and animators of the comics, and it just didn't quite translate from a comic script to a screenplay very well, which is why it just kind of faded into obscurity. I mean, I think that that's pretty accurate to say. Um, So I think it received a lot of positive praise from the actual animation itself. I think it looked really stunning visually. Um, but there was a lot of a lot of missed opportunities because 
a lot of what X-Men was known for, like we've been talking about already, is that you have these social issues, these ideas of prejudice and bigotry, these ideas of isolation and, and feeling alienated. And none of that was really covered. None of it was really discussed. So it was very much like the 1970s, like Justice League cartoons, you know, yep. with Batman and Aquaman, and Superman and everything, you know, like it's just a bunch of heroes that are all fighting for a common good cause against a bunch of bad guys. And Five as, savings bonds, children. Right. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to, you know, a, a more complex, like we're fighting for the good of humanity. There are certain humans that are our enemies. There are certain humans that are our friends. There are certain... Uh, for Paul's sake, humans with mutant abilities that are our friends and 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 some that are our enemies as well. And then there's some that are in between, which I think we'll talk about Magneto in just a moment. But I think he is it by far and away the relationship between him and Xavier is one of the most interesting thing in all of comics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, very interesting dynamic. But but yeah, so some of the, the villains in this uh, 1989 version uh, included Magneto, as well as the Juggernaut, Toad, Pyro, the Blob, and White Queen. And like we discussed, the, the show is canceled after just the pilot because it, it just wasn't, it didn't feel like X-Men. It felt like like a G.I. Joe cartoon or something like that with, with mutants in it. Um, and that kind of missed the whole point of what made the X-Men comics so interesting and compelling. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Any thoughts on that? I'm sure it's a topic in the hopper, but any final thoughts? Well, I, f- I feel like it was a good attempt, but they were trying to break away from the Marvel Action Universe style of Saturday morning cartoons. And they didn't quite go far enough. Right. Yeah. It just it felt like more closer to Spider-Man and his amazing friends than, you know, what it would eventually become once we got Saban money involved. And, right. Uh, right. The world was forever changed for the better. Right. So the very first episode of the 1992 animated series, I think it's a two part episode, actually, the Night of the Sentinels um, mm-hmm. is incredible um the the fact that the x-men animated series kind of like when we were talking about batman the animated series and the lesser known Mad Men the animated series um, (laughs) (laughs) um it's it's not fully serialized but it's far less episodic than something like gi joe or he-man or other action cartoons at the time there were very much storylines and arcs that would sometimes continue for an episode or two, sometimes half a season. Some of them continued on and on and on through the entirety of of the five seasons. I, I think that that's really an interesting way to make television, especially back then when you didn't have people binge watching shows. You know, you couldn't watch the entirety of X Men. You know, over the course of, of several days. I, right. I sort of blame this show. For what would I... So, when we were kids, like you said, everything was episodic. You could skip six episodes of G.I. Joe. And you could pick it up and watch it and just enjoy it for it was. And X-Men kind of... It was almost like an X-Files sort of feel. They had their villain of the week, but it also had the overarching plot. Yeah. And as it went further on, it became more of the overarching plot focused. Maybe just for that season, but... uh, it was great at the time. It was amazing, but it had two issues. 
they had different production companies working on different episodes, and whichever one finished first was the one that made it to air. So there were continuity issues all over the place. Oh. Because until it was actually released on home video, with the exception of the two-parters and the four-parter, you know, like Night of the Sentinels, Dark Phoenix, uh, Mm -hmm. Apocalypse, with the exception of those, like, you know, two to four episode story arcs, the other episodes, whichever production company, finished first was the one they aired and some in some cases uh there would be continuity errors and it always bothered me and i never knew why and then when i when i saw the home video that's when i first realized that they were airing them out of order because serialized cartoons for kids just weren't done at that time and the show wasn't purchased from syndication it was a made-to-order show by fox so whichever episode got finished we need to package it stamp it on a lunchbox and it's got to be up because that's the way that cartoon series were done in the 80s and 90s and this sort of broke the mold for the better but i feel like it 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 was it was done poorly in that respect and then i also feel like everything after that felt it had to imitate it to the point that i think today that a lot of tv is too serialized where you have to see every episode absolutely yeah, that's fair. And it's gotten to the point now where if you miss an episode or if you're going to catch the episode the following day, it, you, it's like walking through a landmine field. Like you really do have to be, oh, I can't see any spoilers. I, I, I don't want to know what happened. It, it's interesting because at, at this time, when most other shows other than X-Men was like an episode here, an episode there with completely different storylines, it didn't matter that you missed an episode because whatever, like it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a mystery turned into an action, turned into a resolution, all in 22 minutes with a few candy commercials spread out throughout. I mean, yeah. that's that's essentially and you have to what it was. moral at the end, right? <laughs> but but I think today now, like so many series are focused on the writing and the big, you know, the storylines and stuff like that. Yeah, and and so much of that came from the success of shows like Breaking Bad like uh dexter game of thrones like all of those uh big shows where you have one kind of big storyline or whatever that's going on through the whole of it and like you know obviously with dexter and breaking bad and stuff like that you had like basically season-long storylines that would start you know either at the tail end of the previous season or at the beginning of the new season go till the end of the that season and then start with a new storyline uh, but I feel like shows like that really pushed the writers to start producing more like that than, you know, these episodic serialized storylines. Well, and I, I think a big part of that, too, is the the problem that every movie from the 80s, 90s and early 2000s had that was based on a different type of works, whether it was based on a book or a comic or, you know, something else. The right. issue was always you got about 90 minutes to yep. tell a 600 page story mm-hmm. with lots of interesting nuance, lots of very, very, um, you know, specific things going on and you can't do it. Right. Having the freedom and the, the ability to be able to do that over eight one hour episodes in a season and have them all just come onto HBO or Amazon Prime 
on yep. some random Wednesday and people can just watch them in entirety. I mean, that, that really gives you an opportunity, you know, like, like Stranger Things, for example, or yep. um, Game of Thrones, anything like that. When you have like this constant story from beginning to end, it's really just a movie. Right. But it's like a novel where every yep. movie that we thought in the past was like, oh, this is the longer version of TV. Now TV has kind of taken that torch back. And it's like, well, yep. actually, we're the longer version of movies now because you're not going to sit in a theater for more than three hours. Right. Um, you might if it's Endgame. I love it when game, Netflix but... comes up and asks me if you're still watching. At least someone cares enough <laughs> to make sure that I'm okay. Right, right. <laughs> so, so the first two episodes, The Night of the Sentinels really kind of put on its head everything that was wrong with Pride of the X-Men, right? So the show starts off with Jubilee. She's living in foster care. She's a teenager, um, and she's going to be sent to like this mutant care center. And her foster parents legitimately think they're doing this in her best interest. It's going to be a place where she's going to get lots of care. Um, but in reality, it's, it's almost like an extermination camp. And she's going to be picked up by these large, almost invulnerable robots called Sentinels. Um, mm-hmm. And she's at the mall and these Sentinels start chasing her. And it just so happens the X-Men are shopping at the mall in their costumes, in their uniforms. It doesn't make a <laughs> whole lot do. of sense. But yep. they protect her and she protects herself. They see that she has powers. And that's kind of how she gets brought in to be part of the X-Men family. They then decide that they're going to go and attack these Sentinels and try to stop this once and for all. And as we mentioned before, Morph is a, a really big character in this whole storyline. And there's too many Sentinels. They're too strong. They destroy most of them, but it's in a particular situation where they need to retreat and Mm -hmm. they leave Morph for dead. We have every indication to believe that he was killed in battle. Wolverine takes it very personally, which is sad, but... (laughs) It's kind of weird because we haven't really developed this character enough for for Wolverine to have the strong emotional breakdown that he has. You know, the morph. Well, I don't it does know. create the drama between Wolverine and Cyclops before the love triangle of Jean Grey, Wolverine, and Cyclops. Yeah, I think so that, that's it kind of gives fair. you that. It's a it's a starting point for building that relationship for how Wolverine respects him as a leader, but not as a person. Right, mm-hmm. because Cyclops was in charge and basically made the order that we have to leave to save as many people as we can. And Morph didn't make the cut. We find right. out at the beginning of season two that Morph didn't die. Um, and that he is then picked up by a, a fellow known as Mr. Sinister. So kind of like a vampiric King Diamond-esque sort of character. He essentially wants to take mutant DNA to create like a race of super mutants, basically. Um, and he uses Morph to his advantage. He plants something in his brain or something like that. So he will do his bidding. And since Morph's power is to morph into basically any thing that he's seen, any person or mutant that he's seen... You know, it, it can definitely be a pretty, pretty bad thing to be on the business end of. Um, but yeah, as far as villains go, do you guys have any particular favorites on the villains? I have a whole list of some fun ones if you guys don't. I always particularly liked uh, Sabretooth. I always thought that was a great storyline between him and Wolverine. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, there were so many good ones. Obviously, Magneto being a major one and 
Apocalypse and stuff like that. There was some. Yep. They they had some great villains in this series. Absolutely. I was gonna say Magneto is probably the end all be all for me because, I mean, there was nobody that could defeat Magneto. Right. Like uh-huh. his his he was the. He was the equivalent of Charles Xavier as that he was at the top of the food chain. Yep. And yeah. if not just in his power, but in his like tactical strategic strategery. Strategery. I loved Mr. Sinister. Um, I love Blob for some reason. <laughs> Blob, Blob is cool. I mean, he is essentially so fat that he just absorbs all damage. So you could like shoot him with a bazooka and he just kind of absorbs it. It's amazing. <laughs> you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? <laughs> what? It's it the same thing that happens to everything else. It gets <laughs> Thank you, Brian Singer for that great piece of dialogue. <laughs> but toad was a toad was an interesting character. I very much prefer that iteration of toad than any that has come since. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, the other one I have to throw in, because I would be completely remiss if I didn't mention the Juggernaut, of course. Great, great villain in that show. And he's Say super- the line. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> I'm the Juggernaut, bitch. And he's really interesting, too, because he's not a mutant. Um, he right. has this, like, superhuman strength, and he's gigantic. Like, he's got to be, like, ten foot tall, and like, and he's just mammoth. But He's, um... In his storyline, he's related as a Magneto. Is he Magneto's brother? He's Xavier's brother, actually. Yeah. Okay, he's Xavier's that's what brother. It was. Yeah. And so there's a whole storyline there. They're stepbrothers, actually. And the reason that uh, Juggernaut's dad marries Xavier's mother is because she has a whole ton of money. And so he's trying to basically scam them and sends him mm-hmm. off to like a military academy. And then Charles is basically like the favorite son and things like that. So there's a lot of resentment from the juggernaut and from my recollection he gets his powers from some type of ancient curse or tomb or something like that there's like a a ruby and some like magic words that you say and then uh-huh. you become a human juggernaut and yeah so i mean once again that's that's kind of interesting because he's not really a mutant his powers all come from some type of magic mm-hmm. it, it is funny to mention so uh you know, Juggernaut has now been portrayed twice in film. Uh, the first being in the X-Men movie series done by uh, Vinnie Jones, which is partly where that joke comes from. It was a meme online first, and then it was added to the movie. But the other one was in Deadpool 2. He makes a, an appearance towards the end of the film, and I thought this was super interesting. Do you guys know who voiced the Juggernaut? In Deadpool 2. I do not. No idea. <clears throat> Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> they, they apparently uh, used him. Like, he, he said he would fill in for the voice before they cast somebody and they were going to look for someone. And then they just ended up liking him so much that they just kept it. So it's his voice. He does kind of like that Brooklyn, New Jersey accent. And then they just deepened it and kind of gruffened it up to make it sound less like Ryan Reynolds. But I I saw that movie twice in the theaters, and I found that out between the two uh, 
viewings, and the second time I listened to it, it was like, holy crap, it really is <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. That's like, so bizarre. Like, you can tell once you hear it. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. My only gripe with Deadpool 2 is that they didn't say the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they can't say it every time. Yes, they can. It's the juggernaut. <laughs> it would just get old after a while. It, it hasn't never, gotten it old, old since 2000. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so so one other uh, little side fact. My first car that I ever had was a 94 Ford Explorer. It was the last year that Ford still made the steel-bodied Ford Explorers. That was before they switched to like, the plastic bodies yeah. on them. We've, we've talked about this vehicle and how it's, it's survived hell and high water. Yes. And, multiple parts of it falling off including a door uh <laughs> that's true that's true i a drove window, it without a door for a couple weeks window yep. door all that stuff yes uh my nickname for that was the juggernaut because it was a giant maroon steel beast it definitely was a juggernaut for sure until the door fell off <laughs> that was the final straw i couldn't have a door i wasn't gonna drive it in the winter <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a smart idea in Michigan, you know, <laughs> having doors in the winter. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, so some other some other um, villains, there's a guy named Sauron. He was um, like a pterodactyl humanoid kind of hybrid. He was essentially a normal dude that lived off the energy of other people. So almost like Rogue, except he needed it to survive. And if he absorb mutant powers he would change to this pterodactyl beast and would be able to fly and, and do all of that stuff do you guys remember mojo yes yeah mojo is like the most unfortunate villain ever he's like a giant gross slug thing the only <laughs> way i can describe him for any of uh, our listeners who listened to our uh halloween special with bill from zoss studios leprechaun in space zoss films yes zoss films yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's left- awesome. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> had to get a plug in there. There you go. Well, by there, there, there are buddies. So thank you, Zoss Films. This airs. This will uh, their podcast will have launched. Correct. Yeah, it should. I cool. believe so. Zoss Films podcast at zossfilmspodcast dot com. That's Z O S Zoss Zoss Films. Rated <laughs> Z for Zossum. <laughs> But but the reason I bring that up is we talked about Leprechaun in space and the like the scientist when they finally show <laughs> <Yes>. him. That's <laughs> what Mojo kind of looks like. This weird just um, like the end scene where he gets mutated with a, like a spider or something like that. That's kind of what Mojo looks like. He's like a giant slug thing on like metal spider legs. But he's a TV agent in outer space. And his number one program is this action hero called Longshot. And Longshot quits or something like that. So they need to replace his program. And they essentially abduct the X-Men to do like gladiator style combat with one another and with robots and shit like that. It's a, He's a very strange villain. He's voiced so- by... Um, what's his name? It's a guy on the Red Green show. Um, Hold on. Uh, Peter Wildman. That's it, Peter Wildman. Yep. So, um, so, and you can hear that in his voice when he does his character because he does <laughs> all sorts never, of crazy things with his voice. <laughs> I never realized that. Yeah. So it's, it's it's funny because I'm looking like I'm looking at a picture of him right now. 
he it says it's like a robot exoskeleton, but he looks kind of like a big blobish kind of thing yeah. with these weird like wires and stuff coming out of his head. He actually looks a lot like uh, there was an episode of uh, Doctor Who when David Tennant was on where there was a monster called the Absorbaloff. And he looks a lot like he looks a lot like Absorbaloff from that episode. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Um, yeah, some other some other villains. Uh, Master Mold was a, a main villain. Um, so essentially, they made a giant sentinel to forge sentinels inside, um, and he becomes sentient and no longer listens to his creators. And obviously the most logical issue, and this goes back to Paul's pet peeve, the most logical issue to get rid of mutants, because mutants are essentially just mutated humans, is to get rid of humans too. Um, so his whole thing is like, let's wipe out everybody. And that's obviously not what the Sentinels were programmed to do. So it all kind of backfires in the human's face. The main humans that are kind of overseeing the Sentinel project, you know, there's a lot of corrupt humans that are involved in in the uh, extermination and isolation of mutants. One of the main groups is called the Friends of Humanity. Um, and it's obviously supposed to sound like it's supposed to be a good group, but they essentially want to kill all mutants. It's Ooh. led by a guy named Creed, uh, and it comes out during the series, spoiler alert, is that he Scott is... Is it Scott no, <laughs> it's not. It, it's actually Creed from The Office. <laughs> no, it's not him either. Um, it's uh, it's Apollo Creed. Uh, no, it's uh, it's um, Austin Creed. Yeah, <laughs> Sabretooth's son. So that basically ends his political career when they find out that he is the son of Sabretooth, <laughs> and I think Mystique was his mother. So you can't really Dang. hate mutants when both your parents were mutants. That's so, the problem. Yeah, um, Omega Red was kind of kick-ass. He was like a Soviet uh -huh. weapon, kind of like a Doc Ock sort of type villain. Had like the big tendrils. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them. We talked about Apocalypse already. Deathstrike was pretty sweet. She had giant fingers and like almost like, like razor claws on the end of her fingers. Um, the Inner Circle was a bunch of bougie people that had powers that wanted to take in the Dark Phoenix so they could take over the world. Um I don't think if there's any other big ones. You said you're you're compiling a list, Adam. What uh, what do oh, you have? What I was noticing as I was going through this, because uh, I I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the episodes before we uh, talked about this, but the amount of Avengers and other Marvel characters that made it into this show is really pretty impressive. Oh, I mean, sure. On top of uh, the X Men, you had appearances by Spider Man. You had Captain America. You had. Uh, the Red Skull, you had, uh, gosh, hold on, I just missed. I'm pretty sure that Morph appears as Deadpool to Wolverine. I think you're right, yeah. Um, and then there's episodes where War Machine and Nick Fury show up, Spider-Man, uh, Thor, Doctor Strange, um, and then U uh, Uatu, or Uatu, which is basically what Stan Lee's character was in all of the watcher, the, the watcher yeah uh, in all of the appearances he was it was mm. confirmed that he was the watcher so uh, most likely uatu uh, so that was pretty cool that like they had all of these other characters that were brought into the fold outside of just your 
typical X-Men characters and bad guys and stuff like that. Oh, and absolutely. they would cross over into Spider-Man, too, in the Spider-Man 94 series. Yeah, uh, yep. Oh, uh, a couple others that I forgot to mention. Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, uh, shows up in the show mm. at one point. Um, and then this one wouldn't really count much as a crossover, but Emma Frost uh, was in the series, which is the character from, I think, First Class, maybe? Whichever um, one that they were in the yeah, 60s. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, both Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are also in the series as well. Yeah, And that's almost like a reverse crossover because they actually crossed over into Avengers instead of the other way. So yep. kind of interesting. Yep. Um, uh, Quicksilver also shows up in the new movie, just FYI. Oh, there you go. There you go. There's a lot of interesting anti-heroes as well in the series. Um, so like... There's a, a reoccurring storyline where shit goes down and it impacts the future. And so these like time commandos basically have to go back to the 90s and fix things. Days of Future Past is, is a big part of that. And so Cable is one of the main guys that's he goes back. Uh, yeah. He's got like this plasma gun and things like that. He's essentially trying to... There's a mutant plague quote unquote, that some scientists within like the friends of humanity and things like that have developed in a lab and they'd want to basically frame mutants as being dirty, plague carrying humans. And that's why we need to exterminate them all. Obviously, they're trying to stop that from happening, the X-Men, because that would be a, a bad thing. But if it does stop happening, then Cable, his family, all the life that he knows, even though it's like a post-apocalyptic Ridley Scott type reality, um, <laughs> uh, it's still his I reality. Exactly, exactly. It's still his reality, and he doesn't want to be erased from from history, basically. Um, so he comes it's back. It's worth pointing out that uh, Cable is related to Scott Summers. Oh, oh really? Really? Yeah. Yeah, Cable is Nathan Summers. Oh, gotcha. interesting. So I forget if he's his son or grandson or how it falls apart. There, yeah. How it... No, okay. So Cable is the son of Cyclops and Jean Grey. Oh, interesting. No and then in and then Time Cor Fugitives, Genesis is Cable's son. Oh, wow. Wow. And then Corsair would be Cyclops' father. He's like a space bandit. So it's really interesting how many of these guys are all related, which makes sense if, if you're mutant, it's typically genetic. So it makes sense that everyone's related. But um, but yeah, I think it's really fascinating because I think isn't Rogue's father safe? No, her her stepmother is Mystique. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's really fascinating. Other time travelers, Bishop and Shard, as well as Forge. He's the one who actually develops the time machine. Um you know, you got a lot of really interesting characters. Archangel was one that was uh, really common in the early X-Men episodes. Uh, he was like a scientist in Switzerland or something like that. And I think it was Apocalypse transforms him from being like a normal angel type guy to like being this metallic angel with blue skin and supposed to be like a slave to Apocalypse. The rest of the times he ever makes appearances is he's basically full on Wolverine style rage towards Apocalypse. But 
Yeah. Um, any other episodes or characters or anything like that that you guys remember? We're getting over the hour limit, so I do want to try and wrap it up somewhat soon. But um, <laughs> any other interesting characters or storylines that you guys remember? Well, I I love that um, most of the storylines in the X Men series were original to the series. They after Pride failed, they brought in real writers to write TV. And each writer got to write their own episode, and they kind of took creative control over that. And it did it. It spawned new comics and video games that existed afterwards, and it was kind of the jumping off point, kind of like Harley Quinn and Batman the Animated Series. It, bre- it breathed new life into it. Sure, and that's not to say they were completely without the comics, because Night in the Sentinels was taken out of the comics, and a lot of the overarching uh, or multi-part episodes came from the comics Days of Future Past, uh, Savage Age of Lands Apocalypse, and, Savage yeah. Lands. Yeah. But the in-between episodes where they really developed those characters, those were outside of the comic, and it really expanded the X-Men universe and gave it depth. And that's one of the greatest you know, mm-hmm. features of this show in my mind. Mm-hmm. I also, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the video game that came out uh, that went along with this. It was a great game. Uh, I vaguely remember one? it. Um, I'm trying to pull it up right now. To I remember double- the soundtrack was sweet. <laughs> like, yeah. very dark and heavy, like, um, almost like Nine Inch Nails industrial type stuff. It was really cool. Because th- they had the one that was reminiscent of the Turtles game, and I can't think of what it was called, which was awesome. And then they had the Mutant Academy fighter games. Yep. I think the uh, the one I was thinking of is just called X-Men uh, that came out in 93 for the Sega Genesis. And yeah. it was it, the characters were based off of the characterizations from the, the TV series, the animated series. So, like, the, yeah. that version of Wolverine and Cyclops and Gambit and all them. Yeah, and it was a side-scroller as opposed to a fighter game or Correct. RPG yeah. or anything like that. It was very much, like, reminiscent of those mid-90s Sega games. Yep. Streets of Rage. Yep. Beats of Rage. Of Rage. <laughs> rage of Rage. <laughs> rage against the Streets of Rage. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> Machine <laughs> against the Rage. <laughs> but there's some really interesting episodes. I thought the Savage Lands were always some of my favorites. Um, in particular, going back to the relationship between Xavier and Magneto, they are so interesting because they were basically lifelong friends, professional colleagues, and... They just have a different perspective on how to handle the whole mutant situation. So is there a way to bring peace between mutants and regular humans? Xavier says yes. Uh, Magneto thinks that they should absolutely be separate and it's not something even worth pursuing. There's so many storylines in this series where X-Men and Magneto are partnering where Xavier and Magneto are partnering and there's other times where they're head-to-head fighting each other and they're the absolute epic blowout battles and I think it's such a fascinating dichotomy between every other tv show you know like Cobra Commander was always evil you know Skeletor was always evil um um what's his name Megatron was always evil so to have a character like Magneto who is Definitely a bad guy, but definitely like 
has redeemable qualities. That was a pretty rare and very strange nuance for for a show that was made for kids. It's like I want to cheer for the good guys and and boo the bad guys. It's like all of a sudden Magneto's kind of like those shades of gray that it's a much more realistic interpretation of 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 what those type of social causes might might look like. Mm-hmm. Very much so. I also think Calvin Johnson would take offense to the fact that you said he was always a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor he was Calvin Johnson. His best. <laughs> it's very hard to have a good team when you have no O line, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, the Savage Lands I've always thought was interesting because that was one of the the first times you really got to see Magneto and Xavier work together. There's also uh, what's the what's the island, um, the mutant island, um, island of misfit toys. Definitely not that one. I want to <laughs> say it's like uh, Genosha. Is that it? That sounds. I right. Cannot I honestly cannot remember because that's where like Boom and the others were, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, that's a whole the skids. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a that's a really interesting storyline as well because the x-men go there under the pretense that it's a mutant friendly environment and when they get there they're essentially it was run by Kilgrave, right i believe so yeah Mm -hmm. and they have like a mutant slave program to help them build a giant dam in order to power the sentinel builds so it's like yeah mutant friendly as long as you're willing to work to build the machines that are going to destroy you yeah does adam want to make another Kilgrave doctor who reference (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't like that you keep putting these references in my mouth and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, Kilgrave was played live action in the um, uh, What's-Her-Name Netflix series. Oh. The one I didn't watch. Um, but Kilgrave was played by David Tennant. Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. Okay, yeah, I've never seen that show either. We should probably go watch that. Now that it's, you know, going to be canceled. Yeah, yeah. That's a good time, <laughs> good time to start watching a show. Good time to, you know, lob your fandom behind it after it's already ended. <laughs> That's usually when I start every show. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. Firefly. Well, like, I, obviously I'm real with the times. I just started Deadwood uh, yesterday. <laughs> that, really? That show's only been off the air for like 17 years. <laughs> Now you have a movie to watch that came out in May. Yeah, yep. That's the reason we started watching it, was to watch the movie. I I have no room to talk. I've not seen any of the current shows. I mean, I saw Glow. I thought Glow was cool. Um, but I've not seen I've not seen Breaking Bad. I've not seen Mad Men. I've not seen I've not seen Boardwalk Empire. I've not seen Orange is the New Black. I've not seen I did see um what do you call it? Um Westworld, I did see that, and I, I've seen okay. Stranger Things a hundred times, but um, yeah, like, a lot of that stuff I just don't watch. I don't know. I don't know what it is. So if we go back a decade, or even two decades, and pick all the top ten shows, would we have seen those? I definitely have. <laughs> and that's the stuff so, I still watch. Like, I still watch, like, on a pretty regular basis, you know, Cheers, and Seinfeld, and The X-Files, and all of that stuff. It's crazy. Does this mean we've we've now rounded out to the definition of middle age because our tastes <laughs> in television, music, and clothing have not evolved in the last sixteen years? <laughs> Unfortunately, I think so. 
Although I'm still stuck on the fact that I cannot believe you haven't seen Breaking Bad. Yeah, never, never watched it. So it's crazy. And it wasn't like Says I was avoiding the man it. Man who never watched Deadwood. <laughs> well, to be fair, okay, hold on. There's a huge uh, thing here, though. Oh, never De- saw Narcos De- either. Deadwood. Um, Deadwood was on HBO. I never had HBO until like a year ago. I'll allow it. Bra- Breaking Bad's on <laughs> Breaking Bad's on cable. And Netflix. And Netflix, yes. He makes a fair point, Brian. I think you have to watch Breaking Bad. Yeah, I say I didn't have Netflix until pretty recently either, so Well, you're going to have to sit down over the weekend. I had everything on DVD. That that's dating myself right there. Uh, um, I can vouch it wasn't for that. VHS. I can vouch for that. I've been to his apartments many times. He has I think he's the only person in the world that still has a DVD collection as big as his. I have a VHS collection, too. <laughs> he does. And my wife has been trying desperately for me to get rid of the VCR. And it's like, well, how will I watch no. the, the, the videotapes? And she's like, we'd get rid of those, too. Like, no, that's silly. How else will I watch The Mask? How else will I watch Mortal Kombat? How else will I watch the first RoboCop? Like, <laughs> You know, all of those... Pack them you- up. And I'll store them for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, well, any uh, final thoughts on X-Men, the animated series? Again, uh, Spencer, great topic. Thank you so much for suggesting it. Um, yeah. A- I, uh, any final thoughts? I think my final thought is I'm going to have to go back and actually like give this uh, a good once over because I remember really enjoying the show as a kid and it has been as long since i've seen it and i i you know especially with the x-men movies coming out recently and stuff it uh definitely piques my interest to go back and check these out again definitely definitely. 21 years this month i believe it ended no kidding wow the this series is old enough to drink liquor now guys that's crazy that's (laughs) crazy yeah i uh well, the absence of this show is even old enough to drink, so it's <laughs> <that's laughs> so crazy. <laughs> but um, one last storyline I thought that was really interesting that I wanted to bring up is how they include Nightcrawler in this series, because I don't remember how they treated him in the comic, but in the TV series, he's raised by monks in like a German church and he was abandoned by his mother. He finds out, you know, several episodes later that his mother was Mystique, um, and he's taken in. But it's a really interesting discussion between him and Wolverine, this guy who's full of grudges and rage and all that, about the power of God and forgiveness and religion. And it was something that you don't see often, again, in kids' TV shows on, on a, you know, on a network channel i thought it was a really interesting approach that they took you know so they were talking a lot about you know essentially they're talking about racism and they're talking about you know discrimination and then they're also talking about you know different points of view you know from religion and how that impacts different people's Mm worldviews and things like that i i think that the show was i think it's really cool when kids shows give them credit for being as smart as they are instead of just assuming they're dumb drooling babies, you know, right. like they, it really gave them some, some huge life lessons and things to consider. Um, that was one thing that they did really well was focused on, you know, these topics that were 
pretty heavy for a cartoon show, but that were pertinent, especially, you know, at the time that these comics were made. Like, you know, X-Men was in the 60s, so of course there was going to be a lot of stuff about discrimination and, you know, racism and stuff like that when you have a group of people who are, you know, uh, physically uh, different from the rest of the human race with these mutations and these genetic alterations and stuff like that. So it was an interesting parallel to have that going on right as the civil rights movement uh, is going on in the United States and you have these big discussions going on in society about those topics absolutely absolutely well on that heavy note i think that wraps up our discussion on (laughs) x-men now moving on to mutant combat Mutant combat there sound a little bit like Yoda. Mutant <laughs> <laughs> combat <laughs> will we have combat. you mutate. Mm. <laughs> you gotta do the more flapping. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so silly. <laughs> I'm gonna be hoarse for laughing. Alright, well I've devised a trivia question for my co-host to answer. Whoever is closest will get to lead their chat next week. Paul has Modest Mouse, and Adam has Stephen King. Are you guys ready? Yo. All right. So I didn't come up with an X-Men question, but uh, I think this one will be kind of fun. The original versions of Pokemon were red and blue. There were 150 Pokemon to catch, but the game had several caveats. For example, of three starting Pokemon, you could only choose one. There were situations where you would get a choice between two Pokemon and couldn't ever find the other one in the wild. It's like a Hitmonchan, Hitmonlee type situation. Some Pokemon weren't found in both versions of the game, and some could only evolve if they were traded. To get all 150, you would need to use a cable to trade between two Game Boys. Assuming you own Pokemon Red and didn't trade with another (laughs) player... What was the maximum number of Pokemon you could catch? Oh dang, one hundred and forty-six. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a hundred and thirty-five. So Adam got it this time. It is one hundred and twenty-four Pokemon on the red 124, version. One hundred twenty-four. Okay. Yep, one hundred and twenty-four Pokemon on the red version. It's about the same on the blue version as well. So that, like I said. If you started with Bulbasaur, for example, you couldn't get Squirtle or Charmander at any point, which also meant you couldn't get their evolved stages right. either. Um, and then there was other examples of that. If you took Hitmonchan, you couldn't get Hitmonlee. And, you know, I, I can't think of any other good examples off the top of my head. And then there was other ones that wouldn't evolve unless you traded, like you couldn't get Alakazam if you didn't trade. Yeah, so... Um, I, I thought you were going to say, what year did the link cable come out? <laughs> and for the life of me, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know 1873. that either. 1873. <laughs> oh, maybe. Before the Game Boy was even invented? <laughs> Could be. Yeah. <laughs> so the tiebreaker... It's a bold choice. The tiebreaker had their Ben one. There was one in our last canon episode, but um, the tiebreaker would have been... There is a Pokemon that is not found in the wild in either game, 
but you can purchase at Celadon City Game Corner by playing the slots. Which Pokemon is this? Mewtwo? Nope. Uh, I was... Nah... I don't... I'm gonna say Mew. It was Porygon. Really? really? Yep. Cannot be found in the wild. Oh, Can only James, be purchased. James, you owe me a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Well, cool. there you have it. Adam will be guiding us through the land of Stephen King and a dark and glorious land it is next time. Loser, me, still has modest mouse in their pocket. <laughs> is that what you call it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, had to. <laughs> and, now, and now we need to visit the Hopper of Imagination to get as far away from this joke as possible. <laughs> Brian, we need a new topic. <laughs> <laughs> we want to remind all of our listeners that if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, you can submit those at our website, www.datingourselvespodcast.com. I have picked topics in multiple categories, and those categories each have a topic associated with them. I will give Brian the three categories to gonna, choose from. I thought you were going to give me choose. the finger. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll give him the three categories. He's going to pick a uh, category, and then I will give him the topic in said category. Sound good, Brian? <sighs> Fine. I can do it another way if you want. <laughs> can play Rochambeau oh, for no, it. Oh, no, please don't. This is fine. This will work. This will work. <laughs> so, uh, the three categories you have, Brian, are food and beverage, movie, or pop culture. Ooh. Mmm. Mmm. Let's... Can you define pop culture? Yeah, can you get any any more specific? Uh, this would fall under television. Interesting. Hmm. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go with pop culture. It's too intriguing to pass up. All right. Uh, Brian has picked pop culture. Your topic will be the WB channel. Oh, man. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Not to be confused with the CW or UPN. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, that's great news. Um, so check us out in two weeks when Adam's going to be leading a discussion on renowned horror author Stephen King. And check out future episodes where... Paul will be talking Modest Mouse, and I will be discussing the WB channel. Thanks again for joining us on Dating Ourselves. And if you like what you heard, there's always more to come. You can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us and the show. And you can check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast.aol.com. You've got mail. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. Please be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of the throwbackion. Throwbackion. Oh, yeah, yeah. there's that verb. <laughs> 
We post additional content on Facebook at facebook.com slash dating ourselves podcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us at dating ourselves podcast. We do the Twitter thing too at dated podcast. And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for a life alert, you've just been dated. Bye. Bye. See you.